0: Hi everyone, Duncan Fletcher here. Welcome back to the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Today we're fortunate enough to have the executive director of Black Players for Change, a nonprofit organization tackling racial equality and social justice in Major League Soccer, Justin Morrow. Justin is a graduate of the University of Notre Dame, a 12 year veteran of Major League Soccer, and is currently a defender for the Toronto Football Club. Justin hopes to use his platform as a professional athlete to help inform. Others about the importance of social change and social justice and providing a pathway for other professional athletes to get engaged as they see fit in making a difference in their respective communities. Clearly, we're fortunate to have another excellent conversation on deck today. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, friends. The PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series is extraordinarily fortunate to have Aura Health as a sponsor this year. Founded in 2013, Aura Health is the company behind the health tech wearable, the Aura Ring, which provides actionable insights on sleep and its impact on your overall health. It's used by top performers across a variety of industries, including the NBA, the WNBA, NASCAR, UFC, and more. And in fact, I've got one on my finger, which I had before Aura even thought about sponsoring pads. I can tell you one thing for sure, it's definitely helped me align my sleep, which was an absolute car wreck. The Aura Ring delivers personalized readiness and activity and sleep insights automatically to the Aura app, providing wearers with practical steps for long-term improvement. I can attest to that. The Aura Ring is not a medical device and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, monitor, or prevent medical conditions or illnesses. For more information, I'd urge you to check out auraring.com. And on behalf of PADS, we thank you for your sponsorship of the PADS Athlete Development Summit Podcast Series. Hi, everyone. Duncan Fletcher here, the Executive Director of PADS. We're here along with my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn, with Major League Soccer player, uh, 12-year veteran, uh, with Toronto Football Club, Justin Morrow. Justin, thanks a ton for being here today.
1: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to have a a good conversation here.
0: Absolutely. So there's a range of different things that we want to talk about, ranging from your career to your work uh, with Black Players for Change within the MLS, I think before we dive into the areas of social justice, what you really want to kind of understand is, is your background and how you navigated all the way to the highest end of, of professional soccer in North America. So why don't we start to young Justin and, and talk about how you got into the game and how you progressed all the way through to the professional levels?
1: Yeah. Oh, man, um, where to start? I think,
0: I think the most relevant thing um, is starting with
1: my parents, you know, my dad, a, a black man grew up his whole life in Cleveland, Ohio. My mom from Long Island, a white woman, Irish woman, um, and they met at the university or Ohio University. They're both uh, college student athletes. And so, um, you know, they formed this partnership and, and got pregnant with me towards the end of their um, college stay and decided to, to have me and brought me into the world with a lot of love. And so I always start there because my parents just instilled in me great values of humbleness and respect and hard work and dedication that shines through in everything that I do. So as I was growing up in Cleveland, you know, trying to, to find my way, it wasn't particularly the hotbed of soccer in North America. So I was doing a lot of different things. I was I was playing a lot of different sports like a lot of us do when we're growing up in America. Um, I played basketball, uh, was excited to get into to tackle football, but that ended up not happening for me. Um, I even tried out hockey for a little bit, but soccer was the one that just, you know, stuck from the very beginning, just loved having the ball at my feet, loved, loved the joy of the game. And so uh, as I got older, you know, into to high school, kind of narrowed down into that and, and track. And so I took both of those pretty seriously. And soccer was the, was the thing that was going to get me to the next level. And I was always thinking about that. Um, didn't know if I wanted to play professionally right away, but I knew that, um, I wanted to get out of Cleveland and I thought maybe soccer could, could be a way to help me do that. And so took my education very seriously, took soccer very seriously, got myself to Notre Dame, um, did pretty well there. Again, I didn't know what was, what was to go on after that, um, in soccer around the world. It's not, always the same as in North America in that you go through the high school to college, get drafted Um, around the world. A lot of, a lot of guys turn pro at 16, 17 years old, 18 years old. So um, it was just kind of seeing how things go. If I was going to develop, have that talent to potentially go after I was done. And if I didn't, then at least I had a really good academic degree behind me to be able to, to fall back on. And so got towards the end, I was, I was doing all the interviews and, and not knowing, and ended up getting invited to the MLS Combine and, and showed really well there, which you know propelled my draft stock. Got drafted in the second round out to San Jose in 2010 and spent four years there. Um, you know, broadened my horizons a lot coming from the Midwest out to the Bay Area and, and seeing a lot of new things. Being in California, seeing the amount of diversity that they have there. And so I, I enjoyed my time there with the team and just living in a different place and then got traded out to Toronto and been here for an incredible eight years now. And I've really grown with the team and the club into this top club in the league, along with the city. The city is incredible as well. So um had
0: a really good time in my career so far, and it's been a fun journey getting here. One of the things that you said it's kind of interesting as a young guy growing up, you were playing all kinds of different sports and you threw hockey in there. So we know you're a good guy and that's got to play well in <laughs> Toronto. But I'm just curious, um, when did you actually specialize specifically just on soccer? When And it sounds like you even really didn't because you were still doing track. I'm just curious, yeah. when did that specialization sort of happen for you where you were more centered on soccer?
1: Yeah, I, I mentioned it a little bit. I was playing a lot of different sports. Um I was really excited to play tackle football, and right around middle school when that was going to happen, it just ended up not working. I I had a doctor's appointment; they wanted to check into some more things, and by the time everything got checked out there, I was late to the team. You know, the season had already started, so we're like, all right, let's put that in the background, and it ended up not happening. Basketball, I played in middle school. Um, I ran track in middle school, so like it was it wasn't until high school when it was like, okay, this is this is it. And cl- club soccer, um, which is soccer outside of, of high school, is very serious in North America. It's a it's a big built up system, kind of like AAU basketball. And so I was playing year round at that point, um, traveling all over the country to play, and holding my own. You know, really doing well when we traveled to tournaments and was able to show myself well. So then that, that's really what I thought. Combined with the passion of like, okay,
0: this is this is it for me. That's really cool. And then, maybe, how was your maybe talk a little bit about your your NCAA experience at Notre Dame how How did you enjoy that and and um, just generally how did that influence sort of your perspective both on the sport and being uh, being an athlete as well as kind of what you were learning from an educational perspective and how has that sort of influenced you as you migrated into professional ranks.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. For me, it was like an extension of high school, you know, because I went to this Catholic prep high school in Cleveland. Um, It was a feeder school for a lot of the elite schools, elite universities in the country. So apart from myself, I think we had um, three other student athletes that went to Notre Dame to play football. We had a couple um, students that got scholarships there on their own. So there was like a, a a decent contingent of contingent of us from my senior class that went from high school to to Notre Dame. And then just that like Catholic upbringing continued there. Um, A lot of structure. Everyone is there knowing that they're dedicated to their studies, knowing that they're preparing themselves for their next step in life, but at the same time is willing to, to have fun within these parameters. And so it was my first touch of freedom. I really enjoyed that. Um, because like I said, I always wanted to, to get out of Cleveland and just see the world and see what was out there. And so it was it was a good stepping stone between you know, Cleveland and San Jose, where my eyes were like completely opened. And I always think about my time and how I experienced Notre Dame while I was there versus how I experienced Notre Dame now and um that is just through the lens of seeing what else is out there understanding different colleges and universities and and how other guys live their college experience and and that still shapes the way i think about my time at notre dame it was very very wholesome you know um had my fun but like i said had it within the parameters of knowing that i'm i'm here to get a good education and and continue myself and, and make the next step in my life and my journey
0: that's fantastic So you make the jump to the professional side uh, and like you said, you did the two years out out West and then ended up in, in Toronto. Can you talk a little bit just initially about that transition from being a student athlete and the expectations that sort of go about managing your academics and, and managing um, playing, but then all of a sudden you transition the professional side and all it's, it's all about the game and how you manage that transition uh, out of that, uh, you know, out of the, the academic world and into just a pure professional role?
1: Yeah, it's a hard transition because at a university like Notre Dame, you're you're so tuned in on your studies and it's taken up a lot of time. When you're not playing soccer, um, you're focused on the world, what's going on around and, and how you're going to fit in after school versus first becoming a f- professional. It's like, day in, day out, you're you're, leave, you're living, you're breathing the same things, you know, and you're learning how to fit into this ecosystem that is all geared towards one thing, and that's winning. And so um, I learned a lot from the role models and the mentors that I had on the team ahead of me, and the ways to take care of your body, um, the ways to play on the field physically and, and mentally, because it's details. It's details is what makes professional athletes Um, successful or uber successful, um, you know, better than average, paying attention to those details on the field and off the field. And it's a learning process because when you're in college, you're both a student and you're an athlete. And so you get to turn off the athlete side at some point and focus on something else. But when you're a professional athlete, there's only one side. And that that continues uh, when you're at home, choosing what to eat, choosing what time to go to sleep, you know, choosing what to do with your body in the afternoons, resting, all of these things play into how successful you're going to be. And so you have to learn that very quick if you want to stick around in the professional ranks.
0: And I think that actually presents a really good sort of segue into talking about social justice and the work that you're doing with the BPC, because many athletes, like you said, they get focused in on I'm now at the major professional level. There's a lot of uh, time and energy and a lifestyle that I need to maintain in order to continue to be successful. And it becomes a question as to, I really don't have time to focus on these other things that may interest me, these other opportunities I have outside the game to have an impact, because it can be seen as sort of taking away from your primary role, which is is really focusing on, like you said, the winning. Um, But as 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 you noted, you're in an ecosystem, you have a platform where you can make that change. So as we begin to, conver- to drive the conversation towards the social justice, how has that evolved for you over your career where you've been able to kind of go, okay, I understand the mechanics of what it takes to be an elite professional, but I have other things that I really care about and I'm concerned about and want to have an impact on. Can you talk a little bit about your mindset and change in terms of how you addressed sort of that merging those two worlds of, of being vocal on a particular topic and managing that professional side?
1: Yeah, for me, it's it starts with my parents, like I said, instilling me um, very great values that I carried with me into sport and everything that I do in my life. High school was very formative for me in that I went to a, a place where um, service was very big and at the forefront of everything that we did. They made it really easy. Um, they kind of pulled back the veil in the sense that Service didn't have to be this big burden. You know, they, there were so many opportunities to do it for 30 minutes after school, or for 30 minutes in between classes. You know, they really just showed the array of ways that you can help other human beings and show compassion, show empathy, things that make this world a better place. And so that's where I really started to think about it. Um, at Notre Dame, I, I carried that on. I helped start the local chapter of the NAACP. At Notre Dame, I was the treasurer there um, from my sophomore year on. And so that gave me experience of, of building something, carving out something for minorities in, in environments where we're not always feel included or uncomfortable. In, in and so that carried on to professional ranks as well. But in the transition, I was just trying to figure out if I was going to be able to stick around, you know? And so I think in that period, is is maybe where my activism side decreased a little bit like we said there's there's so much to learn when you're first coming into the game and it wasn't that i was scared to use my voice but it was like you're saying i was scared to to dedicate time towards something when i knew that i had to be so focused and so dialed in on you know just playing well in practice so that i could have a chance to play in the game and whatnot and so once I established myself in the league, I start to, you know, carve out a little bit more time, maybe um, once or twice a week to, to do a book club. We started a book club out in San Jose um, with the local um, charter school, and that transferred to Toronto when I got traded. And so we did a lot of stuff in the GTA when I first got here. And as the years go on and you realize that you're someone that is going to be in the league for, for a decent amount of time you want to make an impact and you want to make an impact in a lot of ways. You want to you know, be memorable in the league. You want to, you want to win. Um, you want people to remember you when you're gone, but you also want to use the platform that you have while you're here to, to make change. And that's what it really became about for me. And especially has increased over the past couple of years. But for me, it was kind of like a stepping stone process along the way.
2: Justin, as, as you talk about transitions and transitioning from Cleveland, Ohio, to South Bend, Indiana, to San Jose, and to Toronto, you've been on different teams. Each team has its own team dynamic, team culture. And as a, a person of color, how do you feel you were um, accepted within all those team dynamics, within all those team cultures?
1: Soccer is very unique in that it's a sport that that governs the whole world. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. a sport that can can bring us all together. We have everyone from every walk of life playing it, from every country, from every continent around the world. And so I was exposed to that at a young age, like I said, traveling around North America. And so it afforded me some experiences to see what else was out there and, and understand some things about different cultures. But you know, growing up playing the sport in the Midwest wasn't, wasn't easy in that I was always in the minority, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's no secret that it's a sport, um, for rich people, you know, it's a sport that is expensive to play. Um, the more money you have, the, the better chance you have on it being on good teams, um, traveling further to play tournaments in good competition, you know, being in a place like Cleveland, it's very cold half of the year. So, um, the training is different compared to a place like California where kids are outside playing all the time. So there's all these different things, all these different factors that that played into it on top of um, race, race and ethnicity. But um, it was something that was always in front of my face, whether it was in club soccer, at high school soccer, or at Notre Dame. And I think just as I've grown up professionally and come along the ranks, it's been really cool to see um, a broader array of races in my locker room. You know, we have players from all over the world in our locker room here in Toronto, and it's very cool to, to be able to relate a little bit with them, whether they're speaking French or Italian or um, any other language. So it's, it's been really cool.
2: When you were at Notre Dame, um, were you able to kind of foster relationships with individuals of all backgrounds and all, and kind of the second part of that is, were there any conversations with individuals who didn't play soccer, um, maybe on a sport that often is more primarily seen as as um, as a white sport or with individuals who are not of color who are white? Were there ever conversations where someone that you became friendly with, you know, was having struggles that you, you could kind of shepherd them along because you seem to be a strong, um, passionate individual who is confident and, and confident in their convictions. And so just wondering if there were ever conversations where you were helping those individuals that might not have been on a teamed structure that's similar to soccer. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, the thing about sport is that it has such a narrow view in terms of its, its goals. You know, everyone is so focused on playing well and winning, but sport is here for so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always tried to take that view we had a couple of kids at Notre Dame that um, were from outside of the country, and so it was always nice to, to help those kids along. Um, there was a Korean player on our team. Um, at times, he had that, that narrow view, you know, and, and got down on himself a lot of times. And then race comes into question as well, because there are no other Koreans on the team. There are no other Asian players on the team. And so it's, it's just a matter of keeping your eyes open to what else is going on in the world. And if you, if you are able to you know maintain that focus, then it's easy to let these problems wash away within the context of sport. And so I always tried to do that, but I wasn't always perfect at it. That's for sure. Um you know, we had a, a, also a small group of African-Americans. And so there are times when you, you tend to, to hang out with them or you tend to converse with them more than others because it's comfortable. But we always have to take advantage of our opportunities and where we're at in terms of the people that are put around us. And so I always try to maintain relationships with, with everyone and, and keep that open mind and know that these are experiences that are going to help
0: me grow. So maybe that's a great place to kind of just talk about, you know, there's been a lot of, um, discussion over the last two years and obviously, but it's not a new conversation. Uh, you know, you think about, uh, you know, how sport got involved when, uh, with the death of Trayvon Martin, and then all the way through to, you know, where we are here over the past year and a half as it relates to the murder of George Floyd. And that I'm imagining was the instant, what instigated the development of the, um, of the BPC within MLS and kind of want to get you to talk about your experience in, in establishing that and the support that you had as you went through the process of, of putting the the BPC together. And just for those folks, if this is on video, just so you know, Justin's doing this from the training facility. I think we might have seen yeah. a trainer poke his head in there. So <laughs> shout out to him. Uh, I,
1: I carved out some quiet space for a little bit, but it's about to get noisy in there. So it's that's all what, good. That's the first lesson for for all you athletes that need some development out there is just, you know carve out some time for yourself, but stay or stay around a while. And
0: take care of your body. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's great. But yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping to have you just kind of talk about uh, again like the 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 impetus behind the the BPC being established and and the role that you're playing within that now, and and again what the the BPC is seeking to do. Uh, both within soccer and sport?
1: Yeah, Black Players for Change came about last year after the death of George Floyd. You know, having some conversations across the league, text message groups, um, DM groups, and being a guy that had been in the league for, for 10 years already, 11 years, I was included in a lot of those conversations just about, you know, what what can players do? What can we, you know, garner how can we use our platform to, you know, bring attention to this, maybe make some change. And so started organically like that, came together on a Zoom call where there was 70 plus of us. And we just decided from a very early start that we wanted to be authentic because we thought that a lot of these companies and organizations weren't doing so when they were posting Mm -hmm. on social media. And we felt like the league wasn't supporting us very well. And so we said, okay, we're, we're going to start speaking up, but we're going to do it our way. So we're going to create our own platform. Didn't know exactly what that was going to be at the beginning. And now it's turned into this full-fledged nonprofit organization. And it's taken on a life of its own. It's, it's had um, incredible ups over the past year. It's had some downs. And that's usually around the times when when deaths happen, um, when incidents happen in our society. That just reminds us of why we need to exist. And so, you know, we keep on chugging. We're coming on a year of existence. It's been really nice to be in this fight together with my peers throughout the league, you know, guys that I've been playing with for, for a really long time. We put a lot of work and effort into it. We interface with the league a lot, trying to change policy there. But we also do a lot on our own you know, social justice initiatives, acknowledgement, education, awareness, um, creating access to the game. There's just a lot that we have going on, and we're going to keep it going on, you know, for the future generation.
0: What are the key areas that you guys are really emphasizing uh, with BPC? Like, what are some of the? You know, you just kind of you know touched on a range of them, but yeah. what's the primary driver right now that you guys are really trying to thrust into in order to have a, an immediate impact? Well,
1: we said that we wanted to come together and affect change as professional athletes. So we first looked within our own sport and we we analyzed, you know, what are the systemic issues in our sport that we can help change? And that comes down to access and representation. We want to make sure that this game is accessible to, to every kid and not exclusive. So that includes getting minorities into the game, breaking down pay structures because, like I said, it's an expensive sport to play. And so we've done that through a partnership with the U.S. Soccer Foundation, which we've built these mini pitches in underserved communities where kids can come out and use the pitch any time of the day. They don't have to pay to be on it. On top of that, there's some free programming that they get after school to be able to have an introduction to the game, you know, a structured introduction to the game, apart from just being able to come and, and play whenever they want. Because a lot of times you can't even get on a field these days. And so that was a part of it. Another part is representation you know we look at the highest levels of the sport and we look at executives and coaches assistant coaches there's just not that much minority representation there so we want to make a change there and we do that through interfacing with the league and and changing policy and creating scholarships for coaching courses and whatnot and then the final part outside of the league is affecting change in our communities because we see the same things that happen in our sports right across our communities in which we live and so we do a lot of social justice initiatives Um, we work on criminal justice reform and and police community relations we work on um, the education gap and the economic gap and we're just here to to funnel resources you know redistribute wealth and use our platform to help our communities in a lot of different ways
2: Justin, as Duncan mentioned, the last two years, there's been um, heightened awareness on this topic, even though this topic has been around for a very long time. And the individuals that attend this summit, the athlete development specialists and the athletes, what can you share with them? How can they continue to use their voice? Because what we've heard is often there's the fear, the fear to to share their perspective or not knowing how to share their perspective. So one is what advice can you give the athlete and what advice can you give those individuals that are at the club level or the league level that are working with those athletes to support them in in whatever they choose to do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And for me, there's a lot of answers. We as professional athletes are, are meant to be role models for sure. And so we do that through leveraging our platform publicly. You know, there's been a lot of protests. There's been a lot of acknowledgement in different forms of fashion, whether that's wearing merchandise, um, kneeling on the field. You can go down the, the list with that. But that's also where the fear comes in. You know, there have been individuals blackmailed for doing that sort of thing. And so if you're in that environment, I think it's also important to understand the leverage that you have behind the scenes. You know, we when we speak up behind the scenes for for the things that we care about, uh, very often people listen to us. And so I'm talking about affecting change in, in the boardroom. You know, there's a lot of money in sport. And so if you can get your voice involved in those conversations, um, that's going to go a long way because when you get the money to care about what we care about, then that's really when you're, you're going to see some change. And then the last thing is to just do a little research about the things that you care about because there are so many organizations, both inside and outside of sport, that are doing a lot of good. And so if you as an individual want to speak up but are scared to use your own platform, utilize somebody else's platform. You know, there are. Within sport, there each each league has its own you know social justice committee, um, and if you're an individual sport athlete, um, there are tons of other nonprofits that you can get involved in to help elevate their mission, and it could be in a number of different ways. If you just want to send money to the nonprofits, trust me, nonprofits always need that. If you want to lend your name, if you want to lend your knowledge, if you if you just want to show up, sometimes listen, people are always willing to accept professional athletes and what they can give because it's important to show as i said from the beginning that as role models that we care about these things
0: that's you made a really interesting point there and i think it's probably you probably can't hit it hard enough is how important it is to do the research and i'm curious as you began the process of deciding to utilize your voice and your platform did you go through a process where you really began to try and understand the history and the the background behind these issues in order to be more, I guess, for lack of a better term, bulletproof? Because I think we've seen that before where when athletes speak up, everyone tries to poke holes in them uh, to try and take it down a notch. And I'm just curious, what was your process to sort of prepare yourself to be ready to act as that voice and to be the CEO of Black Players for Change? <laughs> It wasn't too hard because in North America we have
1: a history of athlete activism. Um, you know, Ali and, and Jackie Robinson, uh, Bill Russell. Um, there's just so many that came before us that have used their individual platforms to to speak up and have really, you know, paved the way for us to be able to do this without fear. You're talking as recently as Colin Kaepernick and everything that happened to him. That only emboldens people, I think. And so for us, it came down to a moment where we felt backed into a corner where it was something that we absolutely had to do. And that uh, we were ready to to face any consequences to come about it. But on the flip side of that, having that past history in North America allows us to do something like this in such a way that we don't receive a lot of Blowback, you know the media, our fans, the league, everyone has very been very complimentary and accepting of what we're trying to do, and I just think it shows that we are in a moment in our nation's history that is willing and acknowledging that there's a problem and that we need to solve it and and move towards making that step. I think the bigger conversation for us is is how do we solve issues at a global level because. Mm-hmm. In soccer, a lot of our players aren't from North America. They aren't from the United States or Canada. You know, we have a lot of Afro-Latinos. We have Africans that, um, you know, were were playing in Africa before they came over here. We have um, um, black players from from France that are that are from Africa. And just having that global mix of cultures and ethnicities, it was more like okay, is this, a, is this a United States thing or is this all of us? And the conclusion that we came to is that we're here to, to solve global issues. I mean, racism is a global issue. and Maybe in soccer, we feel it in different ways and that in Europe, in Asia, there are a lot of black players still getting chants from the fans and even disgusting comments from their peers on the field. You know, maybe we're not at that point here in North America but we experienced Blackness equally. And so it was important for us to show from the very beginning that we're here for everybody and to grow an organization that was able to fight that for everyone. And that part wasn't easy.
2: I have a loaded question for you. Um and, and Sorry, I'm you used think to those right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, what can the sport community do or continue to do to move the needle to create change and create the world where those players aren't walking on the field and their peers are, you know, saying horrible comments to them and and our kids go to school without questioning if, if something's going to be said to them. And, you know, what can the world of sport do? Because I think we all agree, sport has the amazing capabilities of bringing people together from all walks of life. And in that moment of sport, often colored, dissipates and but then the game is over people leave and people start to see differences
1: well sport is already doing so much and i'll i'll give you a couple of examples but i think it's more about what we need to continue to do because i think as a as a race as a human race we've seen time and time again the motivation and the energy to make change you know there's a wave it goes up and down And so we have to keep it at the forefront all the time. I think that is the role and responsibilities of athletes above and beyond what we're already doing. And we're doing a fantastic job. You look at Naomi Osaka and what she did recently um, to leave the French open because of her convictions and the problems that she dealt with in terms of mental health, speaking up on it. And that's important because... um, You know, she's she's Japanese and she's playing this tournament in France. And so there's lots of sides of this conversation about who's having the conversation now. You know, we take sports very seriously in North America. So that's all over Sports Center. But she's Japanese. So, of course, that's Japanese news. And and now in France, they're talking about it as well. So you see how you can affect change all across the world just through sport. On top of that, I point back to last year and the effect that athletes had in the united states presidential election getting stadiums and arenas open encouraging people to get registered to vote we've had the you know the, the the historic turnout that we did more than ever a part of that is on the backs of professional athletes and using our platform to be able to do that so there are a lot of different ways that we're already making change it's just about continuing to do that and i'm really optimistic that that will happen because I think that we're we're breeding this generation of athletes that know that this is something that comes along with, with being an athlete, and they're comfortable in doing so.
0: I think that's, uh, and, and it's interesting what you're saying, this idea, this global perspective. I think I just read recently that the BPC recently made a donation to the Players Coalition as it related to criminal justice reform. And I know that uh, that's a piece that you're saying is that the BPC is going to really have a focus on as it continues to evolve uh, as an organization. But I think what's also really interesting, and you mentioned to us before, is that your father was a police officer, and I'm curious as to you know how growing up with a dad who was an officer, um, seeing what's currently happening now from in the relationship between the black community and the police, how does that uh, inform your perspective on 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 the social justice issues that are taking place right now? And how has that sort of impacted your just general um, view on how criminal justice should be reformed? Yeah, it's, it's a great question
1: because it's something that I live with every day. My father and the way that he carried himself while he was in the police force for over 25 years has impacted me greatly and, and left on me a great respect for rules and um you know how a society should be built and be policed but at the same time that doesn't make me not acknowledge the shortcomings of the system and how things need to change and so it is always about finding this balance between this is something that's that's necessary there's something that um, has a lot of benefit to it but what's causing it to be the way that it is right now and so I have a much more introspective lens now than I did when my father was a police officer because i was I was growing up um, trying to find my way in the world and how I was going to be impactful. and now as i as I analyze that and I analyze this system of policing, I recognize that it has lots of faults, lots of faults. And I feel that oftentimes um, policemen are are and police women are put into, Positions that they shouldn't be put into. I think that the institution um, carries too much weight. I feel like their roles and responsibilities could be split up across multiple jobs. You know, when you talk about social workers, when you talk about um, the military and the things that they have to deal with, like it's, it's the, the, the amount of work that police have to do is, is too much and they're, they're put in terrible situations. So I would start with that. And then you come to this conversation about police reform. And what does that look like? I think that's definitely needed. Um, On what basis um, there are a lot of questions there. When you talk about um, qualified immunity, when you talk about the amount of weaponry that they're allowed to have, when you talk about the way they're trained, these are the conversations that we're having with Black players for change and and the conversations that everyone should be having around the country because nobody wants to see black or white people or any race for that matter being killed at the hands of the police. That's that's not what they're there to do. And I think everyone acknowledges that.
0: No, absolutely. And I completely agree with you. And I think your your points around, you know, training and the qualified immunity and, and like you said, the equipment, those are those are pretty critical points to, to better understand in order to begin to change the the criminal justice system. And I think one of the last questions I had for you as it relates to you know, BPC, and just generally the sport community uh, in general, from your perspective, what do players not of color need to be able to do or need to do in order to support initiatives like BPC, the Players Coalition, and other social justice initiatives coming from the sport world in order to provide them with greater impact, uh, both in the sporting community and beyond? What's your perspective on that?
1: We talked about this a lot, right, around the murder of George Floyd, because um, that was that was the first thing to happen, right? Have conversations about it with um, family members, with, with teammates, with people that you work with. And so in those conversations, when you're looking at peers and, and allies and what they can do, we said from the very beginning, you need to be able to step up and take leadership when Black people or people that are being persecuted or, or oppressed are not around, you know? And that is not an easy thing. But the burden of change shouldn't always be on the people that are oppressed. You know, the oppressors have a big role in stepping up and making change. And that's where these allies come about. Um, One of the great examples that I always point to last year is when the sports world kind of paused after the shooting of Jacob Blake. You know, the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to play the NBA playoff game. And that kind of set forth this cascade effect throughout sports. And, and we had a number of games that day in Major League Soccer. So we were going through the process of deciding not to play. And, and not every team has a lot of black players on it. So when it came down to a match between teams that maybe had, you know, four black players total spread across 60 players, and you have to decide, are we not going to play this game? And guys have just come off the field warmed up for the game they have their jerseys on and now they realize the situation the rest of the league's not playing what are they going to do our allies spoke up big in that moment to be able to say hey this is this is important this is clearly something that we need to care about that we need to use our platform for and they showed up for us in that moment and so i think our allies are doing a, a fantastic job and they need to continue to do that and on top of all of that they need to continue to to share culture I think that raising our children around other children that aren't of their own race or ethnicity is very important. You know, we need to share we need to share cultures with each other from a very young age because racism um, is often passed down from us, you know, through generations. And so, um, in that sense, we all have a lot to learn by by becoming more worldly.
2: And last question from me is: um, as a league, as Major League Soccer, what are you and the other um, board members hoping to see over the next few years in terms of MLS moving the needle in the right direction with regards to social justice?
1: Yeah, they've, they've taken some good steps. They work with us hand in hand. You know, we have contact with the league biweekly. So we have like a regular cadence of meetings where we're working towards established goals like, rewriting um the diversity initiative which is which is our league's rooney rule you know trying to make some change in terms of policy and what does the interview process look like and just you know trying to to affect representation on that part um there's a lot of cultural trainings going on throughout the league right now i was just doing one yesterday with my club and and maple leaf sports entertainment and so those are great to see because that that bridges the gap in such um in international sport. Like I said, there are terms being thrown around that a lot of guys don't even know. So to break down those barriers is important. Um, we also want to see more representation on the player side in terms of minorities from the grassroots level up. And that one is a, a big, a big one to solve, probably something that will take a number of years, because it takes a lot of design and introspection in terms of Assessing the landscape and what there is now, because baking, breaking a pay to play model isn't isn't so easy because there's a lot of people making money that are that are standing in your way. Right. Um, so those are those are the top things. You know, I think they're doing a, a great job of fostering an environment of inclusion. Um, they've hired a chief DNI officer under that officer. He has you know, an office of maybe four or five dedicated people that are working on these issues apart from from just racism we talk about homophobia you talk about all of these other issues that we have as a society and our league is is doing a good job to address those so we've taken some some good steps forward so far to set up a structure of how we're going to make change and now it's just about driving that change home
0: i guess uh, the last question for me i guess is really just around um for you personally you're heavily invested in in the social justice movement now, how do you see this playing out for you as you, you know, as your career winds down uh, whenever that is, is this something that's going to be a part of you long run going forward in terms of your commitment to engaging in this? And, and how do you see that playing out for you personally, as you step away from the sport at some point in the future? Well,
1: this is very personal. It's something that I'll take with me, whether I'm part of black players for change, um, no matter how long I'm playing in the league or not playing in the league, it's something that I'll take on with me to my, to my next journey it's the reason why I got here, you know, into the position that I am today. I have um, lived with this just as, as all of us have day in and day out. I have two young multiracial daughters and I want to make the world a better place for them. And so it's about doing as much as I can uh, with the short amount of time that I have on this, this earth to, to make it a better place for them.
0: And that's probably a phenomenal place to wrap it. So again, many thanks to my colleague Stephanie for participating and of course, Many thanks to Justin Morrow from Toronto Football Club for participating. Justin, thanks a million for making the time to connect today. And I guess uh, since you're in the training room, you're probably going to go uh, dive head first into an ice bath, right? Is that the plan? Yeah,
1: that's about right. <laughs> Massage first, ice bath later.
0: Phenomenal. Again, many thanks for taking the time. Greatly appreciate you participating. All right. Thanks, Duncan. Thanks,
2: Stephanie. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And more importantly, we greatly appreciate your support of PADS. We'd also like to acknowledge the support of our global partners for their ongoing support of all of our initiatives, including the Athlete Development Podcast Series. Again, be sure to be on the lookout for information regarding live Q&A sessions. And we urge you to continue to dive deep into all of the different podcasts that we're bringing to you over the coming weeks. Again, thanks for your interest and for your support of PADS.